Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, January 25th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing great work for the kingdom. I would definitely encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a really good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So, you know, great problem, great problem to have there. All right. Well, continuing on through the week, we are we have hit Thursday. We're going to be, as we usually do, doing our Bible reading this morning. And we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter 17. Uh, doesn't look like we're going to finish it this weekend. And I told you as we were heading into this, and I, I, I'm going to have to go back and count how many Bible studies we've done in John 17 alone. But I, I told you when we were heading into it, we were, we, it, we were going to take a while because of how important the content matter is. So let's go ahead and open up this morning segment with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, oh, excuse me, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and let's see. Our, let's see, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it this morning is from Isaiah 63, 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us. All right. And canst thou not do this? Are there no mercies which thou hast experienced? What that, what though thou art gloomy now, canst thou forget that blessed hour when Jesus met thee? and said, Come unto me. Canst thou not remember that rapturous moment when he snapped thy fetters, dashed thy chains to the earth, and said, I come to break thy bonds and set thee free? Or if the love of thine espousals be forgotten, there must surely be some precious milestone along the road of life not quite grown over with moss, on which thou canst read a happy memorial of his mercy towards thee? What didst thou never have a, what? Didst thou never have a sickness like that which thou art suffering now? And did he not restore thee? 
Wert thou never poor before, and did he not supply thy wants? Wast thou never in straits before, and did he not deliver thee? Arise, go to the river of thine experience, and pull up a few bulrushes, and plait them into an ark, wherein thine infant faith may float safely on the stream. Forget not what thy God has done for thee. Turn over the book of thy remembrance, and consider the days of old. Canst thou not remember the hill Mizar? Did the Lord never meet with thee at Hermon? Hast thou never climbed the delectable mountains? Hast thou never been helped in time of need? Nay, I know thou hast. Go back then a little way to the choice mercies of yesterday. And though all may be dark now, light up the lamps of the past. They shall glitter through the darkness, and thou shalt trust in the Lord till the day, I'm sorry, till the day break and the shadows flee away. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. All right. Well, let's see. Our reading today, we're going to finish the book of Genesis. So Genesis 50, and then Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, the first 10 verses. Then we're going to read from Matthew 16, verse 13, through Matthew 17, verse 9. Then Psalm 21, and then Proverbs 5, the first six verses. So, Genesis 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Then the forty days to do this were fulfilled, because in this manner the days of embalming are fulfilled. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. Then the days of weeping for him were past, and Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, th there you shall bury me. So now please let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers and his father's household. They left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very immense camp. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and... And they lamented there with a very great and immense lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. Now the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, and they said, This is an immense mourning at the threshing floor of Atad. And they said, This is an immense mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Ebel, Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded the, as he had commanded them. Indeed, his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, Pelah, Machpelah, before Mamre, which Abraham had brought, bought along with the field for his possession as a burial site for from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Then Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us, and returns back to us all the evil which we dealt against him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father commanded before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they dealt evil against you. 
So now please forgive the transgression of the slaves of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to do what has happened on this day, to keep many people alive. So now do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke to their heart. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knee. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall, sh and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years. And they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus 1 Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were seventy in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and increased, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. And a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, mm. And it be in the event of war that they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and go up from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labors. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So the Egyptians brutally compelled the sons of Israel to slave labor, and they made their lives bitter with hard slave labor in mortar and brick and in all kinds of slave labor in the field, all their slave labor which they brutally compelled them to do. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Pua. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, birth stool, excuse me. If it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had spoken to them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? Then the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can come to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Now it happened that because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. And Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Exodus 2 uh, through verse 10 And a man from the house of Levi went and took a daughter of Levi as a wife. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And she saw that he was beautiful, so she hid him for three months. But she could not hide him any longer, so she took for, for him an ark of papyrus, 
of papyrus reeds and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and put it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his, fi and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And the, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the ba to bathe at the Nile with her young women walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the ark among the reeds and sent her maidservant and she took it to her. Then she opened it and saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. All right, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay each one according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew 17, the first nine verses. <clears throat> and six days later, Jesus brought with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. 
And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. All right, Psalm 21. <clears throat> For the choir director, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. For the king trusts in Yahweh. And through the loving kindness of the Most High he will not be shaken. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. Yahweh will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a scheme, they will not succeed, for you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstring at their faces. Be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. <clears throat> Proverbs 5 verses 1 through 6 My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my discernment, that you may keep discretion, and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol, lest she watch the path of life. Her tracks are unstable. She does not know it. All right. Well, that is our that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, as I always say, I continue to pray that this time together um, helps helps us all um, to be better to be saturated in the Word of God and to be better shaped by the Word of God. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you. For the evening segment and let's go ahead and close out in prayer um, and I, that's what I was turning the page for to get to the right page the prayer we're gonna close out with from Valley of Vision is called the gift of gifts let's pray O source of all good what shall I render to thee for the gift of gifts thine own dear son begotten not created my Redeemer proxy surety substitute his self-emptying incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp. Herein is wonder of wonders, he came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love, when I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Herein is power, when deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Herein is wisdom, when I was undone, with no will to return to him, and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost, as man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O oh God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds, and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy, and hearing, believe, rejoice, praise, adore, my conscience bathed in a notion of repose, my eyes uplifted to a reconciled father. Place me with ox, ass, camel, goat, to look with them upon my Redeemer's face, and in him account myself delivered from sin. 
Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him thou hast given me so much that heaven can give no more. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, that is our reading for today, our morning segment for today. And again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, January 25th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 17. But first, we want to open up in prayer. Um, we're still um, doing prayer um, for the evening segment out of the, out of th- at the Throne of Grace. Um, it's a book I'm sure you can find out at gty.org. It's, again, at the Throne of Grace. It is a book of John MacArthur's prayers that was assembled by his children. And let's see, we are going to be doing the one we're doing today. And again, it leads in with some text first from the scripture and then the prayer. Um, and this one is called Seeking to Love with a Heavenly Love. And the text is 1 John 4, 7 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, your love has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, and we confess that the only reason we love at all is because you first loved us. Your love enables us to love you and one another in a way that is beyond human capacity. Magnify that love in our hearts and enlarge our hearts in the process. We thank you for loving us into your family and kingdom. As we come before you now, fill us with that heavenly love, so that our worship will be a foretaste of true heavenly praise. Give us Christ-like love for one another, the love that takes up towel and basin and gladly serves in the lowliest place. Give us grace to render that service and sacrifice with overflowing joy and true humility. Empower us to encourage and love one another, and give of ourselves freely just as Christ did for us. 
may we see beyond the faces of those whom we serve as blessed, beloved, and precious as they may be. And may we look to you, the one whom we are to love with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. And so may we truly minister to one another as unto the Lord. Help us to love you more. Free us from the grip of trivial worldly attractions that vie for our affections. Show us in the process the vanity of our sins and the barrenness of this world's values, and cause us to fix our affections on heavenly things. May our daily walk thus bring us ever nearer to the cross and ever closer to heaven. Spirit of God, write abiding truths on our hearts, though our study of your wor- I'm sorry, through our study of your word this day. Nourish our souls with the food that is needful for us, the food that endures to eternal life. We praise you and find our greatest joy and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And our devotion for this evening, um, as we've been doing, is from, oh, there it is. I flipped too far, um, is from the book uh, Glorifying God by Thomas Watson. And let's see, the text for this devotion is from Psalm 5023. Um, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. We glorify God by praising him. Doxology or praise is a God-exalting work. The Hebrew words bara, bara to create, and barak to praise are little different, because the end of creation is to praise God. David was called the sweet singer of Israel, and his praising God was called glorifying God. Though nothing can add to God's essential glory, yet praise exalts him in the eyes of others. When we praise God, we spread his fame and renown. We display the trophies of his excellency. In this manner, the angels glorify him. They are the choristers of heaven and do triumph and do, sorry, and do trumpet forth his praise. Praising God is one of the highest and purest acts of the Christian faith. In prayer, we act like men. In praise, we act like angels. Believers are called temples of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 When our tongues praise, then the organs in God's spiritual temple are sounding. How sad that God receives so little glory from us in this way. Many Christians are full of murmuring and discontent but seldom bring glory to God by giving him praise due to his name. We read of the saints having harps in their hands, the emblems of praise. Many Christians today have tears in their eyes and complaints in their mouths, but few have harps in their hand. Blessing and glorifying God. Let us honor God this way. Praise is the quit, is the quit rent we pay to God while God renews our lease. We must renew our rent. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 17. And we finished up our part two of Jesus praying for the disciples. Jesus praying for the 11. Um, What did we officially call it? What did I officially call it? Um, Yeah, Jesus prays for his disciples. We finished that part two um, as those whom he is about to leave. Um, so like we said, he makes those two requests. He requested they, that spiritual protection for them. And he requested for sanctifying purity for them, that they would be truly sanctified, that there'd be a purity there. So what we're moving into 
is a third section. Sorry about that. I got a tickle in my throat and unfortunately I don't have anything to drink sitting here. Um, how smart of me. So as we talked before at the beginning of all this, um, you know, early in, in John 17, right at the beginning. So this is two, maybe three weeks ago, um, that the, the prayer is broken into three parts. Um, so first part is Jesus praying for himself. And of course he's, he's praying for his glory. Um, and in his glory for God's glory. I mean, if Christ is glorified, God is glorified. And if God is glorified, Christ is glorified, you know? So he's praying for both of their glory, that, that this work would complete, that, that this work would, would, um, reach its culmination. And in some cases we see in this prayer, how he prays about things as if they've already occurred because they're certain, um, this is not like, um, you and I praying, I I've done this before, um, praying that, that, that I would have, Oh, <laughs> okay. I have a good picture for you and I'm sorry. This is, this is, um, you probably don't want to, don't want to even think about this, but back in 2015, I actually ran a half marathon. Now I, let me, let me be clear to you from the beginning. I have never been not even in my best of shape. I, I played four sports when I was back in school. Um, let's see, I played baseball, soccer, track, and football. And I was a sprinter in track. Now, of course, you'd look at me now and go, really? You're a splinter? What'd you do? Fall down and roll and, and outspeed each other, you know, outspeed people? And no, I was not, I was not super fast um, by any means. Um, and no, I was not super skinny either. Um, but, but hit 2015, my brother had ran it, run it the year before, and he was not a distance runner either, but I thought, you know, that'd be nice. And I was trying to get in shape and I was losing some weight and stuff like that. So I thought, sure, why not give myself a goal? So, and I'm, I'm really going to try not to drag this out too far, but I want to make a point here. Um, so I trained like for over a year to run a half marathon. Um, if you don't know, a half marathon is 13.1 miles. Um, so yes, very, very long distance. Um, it became very clear from the beginning and I knew it would be, um, that I was not going to be, as my doctor at the time said, I was not going to be a competitor. I was going to be a completer as in my job was to complete it, not to compete. Um, and I did. And, and, and honestly, I completed it. Um, <laughs> only four of the full marathon runner runners came in before me. So I came in before all the other full marathon runners. And now there were people still behind me. Believe me, I was not the last person coming in, but I was, I was averaging 12 and a half minute miles. That tells you how slow I was. You know, I, I was not knocking down seven, seven and a half minute, eight minute miles. I was 12 and a half minute miles. Um, I was not fast and that's fine. I was okay because I didn't stop. I actually ran the whole thing, but I was sitting there praying. I mean, I really was, I was saved at that point. I was praying the whole time that I would come, that I would complete this. Now, yes, I had actually twice before that completed the full distance during my training as part of my training. So I knew I could on any given day run that far if needed, but I had never run it on the course we were running it on. And I knew for a fact there was a really bad portion of the course that was this huge, super steep hill. So I didn't know if I'd complete it or not. So as I'm praying down there, I'm making these prayers, um, that, that I would hope I would complete it. And, and here's, I'm coming to the point here. I'm sorry. I know this is a long diatribe, but you know, I'm, I'm praying in hopes that I would complete it again, hoping that I wouldn't hit that hill and bog down and whatever. Uh, most of the road before that was great, but 
that hill popped up as they turned us into neighborhoods. And these neighborhood streets were all over the place, up and down and everything else, and they were awful. Um, but, you know, so I'm, I'm praying in hope of that. Well, Jesus in praying here at the beginning of this prayer um, and praying that he would be glory and God, God would be glorified and praying as I've talked about before as we've worked our way through this, praying as if these things had already happened. This isn't because he hoped that they would be completed. This was in his omniscience in, in, in his in, in his knowledge of the fact that he was going to do the father's will, that he was going to be completely obedient and that this was going to be carried out exactly as the father had laid out before the foundation of the earth. Okay. So he wasn't praying like I was to, Oh, please get me across the finish line and not stop running, you know, with not being sure that I could pull it off or not. No, he knows this is going to happen. Okay. So I, that's why I want to make that point is it's not the same thing. And I mean, we can, when we think of that kind of thing, we think it's the, Oh, well, I think it might happen. Like I said, I had already completed the, that distance twice before that, but not on that course. So I really didn't know he knew he knew. Okay. So that's what I wanted to get across. But like I said, so that beginning part is him praying for himself and not in a selfish way. Again, we've talked about that, not in a selfish way, but that he would complete God's plan, that he would complete plan a here. And, and it was in the, the idea that he knew that this would take place. But at the same time, he is doing this in front of the disciples. Believe me, there's multiple things going on here. Again, he's trying to firm up their faith. So again, verse 6 to 19 is him praying for the disciples. And we saw him in the first five verses there, 6 through 10, um, establishing, and in particularly establishing for the disciples, as he's praying out loud like this, that they have believed and that they were given to him by God. And because of that, God is going to fulfill these requests that Jesus has been going to make in verses 11 through 19. And he makes those two requests, as I just talked about the request for spiritual protection and the re request for sanctifying purity. And we talked about why those were so important. Um, the fact is that Jesus was leaving, as we said, that second section is those whom he is about to leave. Jesus is leaving them. So he's been that buffer for the 11. There's no longer going to be a buffer the religious elite, they're going to come after the 11 and anybody else, Paul included. They're going to come after them. They're not going to go after Jesus. He won't be there. Um, so they're going to need that protection and they're going to need that, that strength of that protection. It's not necessarily to remove them out of the, um, out of the path. Um, I was just thinking about actually it was something I was reading this morning and, or no, it was a podcast I was listening to this morning. Excuse me. Think about Joseph when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And I will guarantee you that Joseph was praying that God would take him out of that. Would take him out of that. I mean, he's in slavery. He's been enslaved. He's not really done anything wrong. Well, in general, at least not directly to his brothers. And, and his brothers out of hatred have sold him into slavery. Well, God took care of him, but notice that God took care of him within the circumstances he was in. He didn't take them out of those circumstances. Well, that's really what Jesus is praying here. I, and we, we, we looked at it there. Um, 
where is it? Oh, verse 15. We were talking about it last night or we not last night, night before, um, where he's that spiritual protection. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Again, he was making clear. I'm not trying to take them out of this, but I need, but, but, but God, we need to protect them and provide for them and keep them strong and bless them and, and, and assist them to glorify you in the trial. Because that's truly where God is glorified the most. I, I, the fact is, if you don't realize this, let me make it clear to you. God is glorified the most when his saints stand the test in the trial and continue to glorify him. That is when he's glorified the most. And, and honestly, my guess would be, though I don't have numbers for it, is, is that his kingdom is advanced the most. Not when we're taken out of the trials. But when we continue to proclaim the word of God and we continue to glorify him in the trials, thus Joseph, like I was talking about, look what he did. He provided for million, I would assume millions of people through a seven year drought because God blessed him because God had placed him there through, through however evil it was. Yeah. I mean, you, you read it. I mean, we, we just read it in uh, Genesis 50, you know, and the, the brothers going, Oh no. And you know, and Joseph goes, huh? Well, I, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, this is the same thing. So that's the protection. And then we talked about the purity, the sanctifying purity that for them to be the proper, the, the proper witness, the pro, the proper ones to be teaching and not be the hypocrites that, that their existing religious leaders were, they had to be sanctified. They had to be pure. So we've come into this last section. I know this has been a long intro, but, but we need to get, we need to be there. Um, this last section where Jesus is praying for all believers, and there's going to be a couple of parts here. So this first part is about that. They would be present presently united in truth. Again, wanting to be united in truth. And what we're going to deal with, we're only looking at verse 20 today. And we're going to look at the root of true unity. So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 20 here. So John 17, verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for, for those also who believe in me through their word. So right here, we're looking at the root of true unity. And let me say a few things about unity. Um, there is a, there is a unity out there running around that is false and has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking of here or what Paul talks about at the beginning of Ephesians 4. Because if you didn't get that right at the beginning of Ephesians 4, he, there's a bunch of one statements. He's showing you clearly the unified walk, what the Christian unified walk should look like. But let me be clear that unity, and we've got the root of it right here, Notice what he says. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, who believe in me through their word. So let me, let me clarify their word, the word of the 11, the word of Paul, the word that came down from Jesus. So the scriptures. So he's praying for those who believe in Christ through the word of Christ that is delivered by the disciples, by Paul, by that 13th apostle. That's who he's praying for. That's the unity 
that believe in Christ, that truly believe in Christ. That is the only true unity through the truth of the gospel, the, the real central truth of the gospel. That is unity. Unity is not, and I'm sorry, this is probably going to be the crux of this, and I know you probably would prefer not this not be not be said, but unity is not blanket acceptance of any and all. Unity is not throwing open your doors. Actually, I shouldn't even say it that way because that's not even so. The fact is we want them to come in so we can give them the gospel, but we don't turn around and compromise the gospel in acceptance of lifestyles that God has called blasphemous, that God has called an abomination. We do not, ex we, we cannot accept that as part of the unity. And that's what's going around. That's what people have tried to say. Oh, we want to be unified. So they back down the biblical criteria. They back down the biblical criteria. They say, oh, you know, I know it says that, but oh, we're not going to worry about that right now. No, that is not true unity. That is not, that is sin. That is sin. And when a church does that, it's sin. When the brothers and sisters of Christ do that, when the body of Christ does that, the true unity of the body of Christ, and that's what we're talking about here. So that's what he's praying about. He's praying for the body of Christ. He's praying for what's called the invisible church. And let me be clear why I'm saying that. Because not everybody that sits in a pew on a Sunday morning or, or even sits on their sofa watching a live stream of a, of a worship service is part of the body of Christ. They can claim it all they want to, but that does not mean they are. So that would be the visible church. All those that run around throwing their hands up saying they're Christians. The body of Christ, the invisible church, are those who are truly united around the gospel and around the key parts of the gospel. The One of the most key being that Christ is the son of God. He's the Messiah and that he was the propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. And that outside of his work for us, we deserve death. That's what unity around unity is around truth. The unity is around truth. That is our root. No, notice he's been talking about truth, truth, truth even about sanctifying themselves, may be sanctified in the truth. That was just said in verse 19. And verse 20 builds off 19. I don't ask on behalf of these alone. Again, he's talking about, I don't ask on behalf of the disciples alone. That's not where my prayer is ending. But it's for these that the teachings of my disciples that come from me and come from thus you, God, um, that they... I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. And we're going to see him go on and pray that they'd be made one. But look at that root. It's for those who believe, who truly believe. I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't say this to be angry or to be mean. I don't say this to be mean. I don't say this to be ugly. But if you truly believe Jesus is the Christ then I don't know how 
I don't know how we, I was going to say you, but I don't know how we can sit there and profess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that he's our Messiah, our savior, our spiritual savior. And the only reason we don't face the wrath of God, I don't know how we can profess that and then live a life that flies directly in the face of his teachings. I don't know how we do that. I don't, I don't know how that makes any sense. I don't know how, how we can claim that, but this world does exactly that. And we have churches that, that sit there and go, oh, well, you know, we're not going to worry about holding them to these criteria and stuff like that. No, that's exactly what you do. You tell them the truth. If you love them, you tell them the truth. I mean, I mean, look at, look at the prayer we just prayed from, uh, from, uh, MacArthur's, um, whatever. I can't even, I don't ever remember the title. Um, <laughs> But from that speaking of the love and, and the verses from first John there about love, if we love them, we're going to tell them the truth because we want them to stand beside us in the truth. And the truth is that these things are sin or abominations. And unless we're turning from them, unless we are truly believing that Jesus is the Christ, therefore believing that those things are the truth, and we've got to repent of them and leave them at the foot of the cross and turn away from them, then we're not united. We're not united. That's not true unity. So the root of true unity is a true belief in Christ. That is the only root of that unity. Trying to bring anything else into it is false and is sinful. And is sinful. And, and don't get me wrong. Of course, then, then people are going to go, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And most of the time, the things they bring up, they're secondary things. They are secondary things. Um, case in point, I, while I am, a, I am a true, I am a believer that the scriptures indicate that in, in, in I, what's called credo baptism, that believers should be baptized, not babies. However, I have many, many brothers and sisters in Christ that believe in pedo baptism. And I know they're my brothers and sisters. And we have unity because we all believe the same thing about the gospel. The gospel is what we unify around the truth of the gospel, which is clear that sin is sin and we don't minimize sin to allow everybody to act like they're, you know, all kumbaya and we're all living together happily. No. That's not it. So that is what Jesus is praying for here. And, and that's what we're going to keep looking at again, that they would be this title of this section is going to be, it's going to be verses 20 through 23, that they would be presently unified in truth that these believers that we believers, I mean, this is everybody else that is going to learn that. And that includes us just like when we talk about Gentiles. Yeah, that's us. We're Gentiles. I, I, I mean, those of us in the Western world, we're Gentiles. If you, if you didn't know that, but we are also these believers that he's talking about here, that we would be that those of us that believe in Christ through the words of the disciples and, and their close associates, which are recorded here in the new Testament, that we believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the sacrificial lamb that 
took away the sins of the earth, that took away the sins of the body of Christ. That is the true root of unity. All right. Well, that's going to do it for, for tonight. Uh, we, we'll do one more section on this Friday, and then we'll pick back up, God willing, um, next week. Then let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith, promoting a spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.